It's the year 2021, and the church is acting like it is 2019. That's the last year there wasn't a global pandemic. One year into this gig, we are doing our best to help the church into a post-pandemic future. We are Zoom pastors for our landline church. This is the Millennial Pastors Podcast. Welcome to the Millennial Pastors Podcast. My name is Eric Parker. And I'm Courtney Reedman Parker. And in this first episode of 2021, we are talking ministry in this new year. 2020 is finally over. 2021 has started. The pandemic is basically over. Democracy around the world has been restored and is stronger than ever, and the church is ready to faithfully begin a post-pandemic golden age of revitalized ministry. Oh, indeed. Okay, so maybe not an entirely accurate description of the new year so far. And for all of our Hopes and dreams that Christmas and New Year's 2020 would bring an end to the madness and chaos and that 2021 would bring something new. 2021 has started out not that much differently from where 2020 left off. In this episode, we are talking about the post-Christmas blahs and what ministry might look like in 2021. Yeah, so how are you feeling after coming through Advent and Christmas 2021? I'm tired. I'm tired too, I think a lot of a lot of us are. It felt like the world was putting a lot of hopes and energy into the end of the year into 2021 bringing about something new and different and being the end of our misery, so to speak, of 2020. And I think it was maybe a little bit naive. Yeah, I think at least from a ministry perspective, too, someone asked me this last week if Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and the whole, um, from a service, worship service perspective, was easier because we were at home. And I said, actually, it was more stressful this year than I have ever felt before in ministry. And that includes first, multiple first years in a parish and multiple services in one evening and uh, somebody having a heart attack between two services. This, this was, it, it felt the most stressful, I, I think, in part because of the recognition that people have so many expectations for what Christmas Eve especially is and feels like and looks like. Yeah, Christmas Eve isn't my favorite day of the year normally because of the added pressure and the expectations and and how that is often distinct from maybe what the moment is supposed to be about, which is, you know, a high feast day of the church. And this year was really no different. I could you could feel those expectations from afar. But, you know, 
I felt them in the 12 hours of editing or 14 hours of editing that I did on December 23rd, getting ready the service, and then hoping that all of that work turned into something that that somehow connected with everybody who was living out Christmas in this completely unusual and different way and not knowing if it really did and knowing and actually maybe knowing that it was going to disappoint on some level, right? That it was going to be as good as we could do this year, but everything this year has been disappointing because, you know, as good as we can do is still a disappointment because of the restrictions, because of the pandemic. Sure. The other thing I kept reminding myself of, and this started back in Advent as we were starting to think about and and planning services, and we had the advantage that our Synod, who has sponsored this podcast, offered worship resources through the seasons of Advent and Christmas, which my congregation fully took advantage of those resources. And so there wasn't the pressure to be planning and leading worship every week, which allowed myself and church staff to devote time and energy into other pieces, especially around planning and preparing materials that we delivered to people at home and then also provided online resources through the season of Christmas. And I kept hearing this voice of, you know, but what will people say if you're not preaching on Christmas Eve? And I kept thinking, well, I plan on being here for a lot longer than this pandemic or a lot longer than one year. And so if I'm not preaching this one year, it's really a blip in the, in the grand narrative. Um, and as it came to be, our bishop preached on Christmas Eve and in the rotation of preachers offered by the by the synod and last year he also happened to be preaching at the congregation that I serve because they were between between pastorates and so i made a joke that well now that the bishop has preached twice i guess this is now the tradition so i i think christmas was as good and as meaningful as it could be and i have heard from some folks that they were able to to maybe recognize some maybe more positive aspects of not having the pressure to be out and about and to make all of the visiting rounds and to do all of the things that actually are not as life-giving as we think <laughs> that they are at the end of the day that they're that they're things we do out of duty and obligation and tradition and custom rather than than saying this is something that that brings meaning and value to our lives. Yeah, I mean, I think it there was the opportunity to to do Christmas differently, to relieve ourselves of some pressures and expectations. And I hope that people were able to maybe take advantage of that when it came to observing the holiday season. I think I think um you know yeah there is pressure on, on Christmas Eve but there I think a lot of the pressure and expectation was maybe around what the at home you know socially distanced one one household Christmases would achieve and 
I think, you know, we're a few, a number of days into January now. And I, I wonder how many people were thinking, you know, we just do this Christmas at home. Then we get to go back to life as normal come 2021. And that's just not the case, right? That the, the restrictions, at least in our part of the world, are probably not going to be changing all that much uh, in this new year, for at least for a while. Right. And, and so the pressure was on if we just do this thing this way this time, then we can get to some better times and get to a better, a better experience of living. And that's not going to change. And, and I wonder how many people out there are just feeling, you know, ugh about it all. Yeah. It can feel defeating that that we're, you know, not very far into the month of January and the peaceful optimism of starting a new year has mostly diminished for most people, I think, by now. Um, and And maybe it's that all of the work that we put into into Christmas into doing Christmas differently was more work than we realized like most things in pandemic life right that that having to rethink everything that we do or adapt or adjust somebody was talking to me just yesterday about the number of times they leave their house and realize they've forgotten their mask and and I said, right, because we haven't lived our lives long enough where it's habitual, it's second nature to grab your phone and your keys and your mask before you head out the door, right? That there are things that, that we just have to be thinking about all the time now that even though we're 10 or 11 months in, we're still not completely adjusted to being hardwired to think that way. And so it's a constant effort. It's a constant use of energy when we're already not working at a full capacity of what our energy would normally be. So what does this mean for the church? What does it mean to have people that are sort of tapped out when it comes to pandemic adaptations and living in a pandemic world and, you know, coping with Christmas at home or remembering their masks everywhere they go and not being able to go and see their friends or go to restaurants. What does it mean for ministry? What does it mean for the early days and weeks and months of 2021 and what it means to be church? I think that's, I think that's probably an important question for, for us and for clergy, for congregations, for, for leaders and congregations to begin thinking about and begin wondering about is what is that going to look like you know, from now until, let's say, Easter, the next three months, because uh, really time has been shortened and, and, and made smaller by this pandemic, and we really are thinking, you know, one day, one week, one month at a time. I think that, you know, the first three months of 2021 are going to be more of the same. Hybrid ministry will continue, and we will keep on doing mostly ministry as we have been doing, depending on where we are and what's going on, right? If if you're in a part of the world where you maybe have been doing some on in-person stuff, then probably you'll continue doing some in-person stuff. And you're, if you're in a part of the world where you've been reduced to only online, not reduced, but, but shifted to only online, then that's going to continue at least for the next little bit. And then maybe there might be a little bit of change 
and a little bit of a move towards some more more balanced hybrid with in-person online but it's gonna it's gonna stay the same and we're gonna be constantly trying to figure out how to to remain connected and engaged as online communities or, or communities that are gathering primarily online well i think it brings about the question too we were in a meeting this week with colleagues and talking about plans for lent and holy week and specifically what resources to to deliver or make available to our congregations and talking about now that we have shifted online and have an online community that that also means that we have people who are gathering with us who are not necessarily geographically located in the same way that they were before. And so how do we continue to offer ministry fully to those people? And how do we, and not, and not just we as pastors, but to help our congregation shift too, to think if and when we have people who are coming to church, who are engaging with our ministry online, from wherever they might be gathering from, that that we be aware that there's not um, sort of a a tiered system of some worshiping bodies being more important or valued than others is something that I'm becoming more aware of as as I see people joining our Sunday worship from far yeah we have some we have some people coming from all over north america and the world that are really become faithful sort of attenders of our online worship services and i i would not want those people to all of a sudden just be forgotten about if we do some in-person stuff but also it's not like we can um not emphasize in-person ministry i mean that's still a a deeply important part of what it means to be church to gather in person even though we haven't been doing it for the better part of a year and so we're gonna have to yeah find that balance and what it means to be community and and re-examining and discerning and and understanding in new ways again what it means to be a, an online community and the church has been doing this not as an online community, but as a community as a community of faith. What does it mean to exist in this place that we find ourselves planted in? If you have a building, which most of us do for better or for worse, who who is part of our community? Right? And what is our purpose here? Because if you are expecting that people will know to come or know how to join the community or will come because of a specific ethnic or cultural background right or family connection or community connection without being fairly deliberate i think we find ourselves in a place in a time where we will be expecting something to happen that is not going to happen it's not going to happen by accident right people are not going to come to church by accident yeah no they're gonna they're gonna be making a lot more selective and intentional choices about 
how they spend their time and energy and, and where and who they choose to spend that time and energy with. Right. And that was true before the pandemic. Right. And so now that there are greater opportunities to connect with faith communities online, it means that you have an even broader search possibility, right? You're not limited to your own geographic area. You can connect with a church literally anywhere in the world. Yeah. For better or for worse, right? And so how do we then think as church about what is our mission? What is our vision? Where is God calling us to live and serve and enact our, our faith? And, and one of the things that sort of, I think, complicates that, that I'm thinking about, um, was sort of the, the, the world's Christmas gift that we got just heading into the end of the year last year, which was the announcement of vaccines, uh, a couple, and there are more, seem to be more on their way. Um, signaling the end, so to speak, of the pandemic. But what do those mean? What are they going to mean for people, uh, for communities that gather? Um, because I think a lot of the things that we were dealing with before last year, you know, pressure to reopen, pressure to start in-person worship, the vaccine's going to change again how people feel about about these, what our ministries are going to look like, what our congregations are going to be doing, what they want to happen because I do think there is even you know especially after this Christmas of uh, being different and as we head into Easter number two that could be possibly you know at home and online is that people are the desire to go back to normal is going to just ramp up higher and higher when there's going to be everyday news about who's getting vaccinated now and who's going to be protected against the virus now and how life is going to go back to normal. The, the media just can't help it. This is a story that's out there, and they're going to tell it, even though it might take the better part of a year to tell. you know. And so these are going to add stressors to our ongoing hybrid ministry in these first few months of people pushing to get either to, to perhaps go back to more in-person stuff now that the pandemic quote-unquote over, or people saying, hey, I'm just going to wait till there's a vaccine, so I'm not going to engage. I'm not going to engage for the next three months because I'm just going to wait it out. Right? The end is, the end is in sight. I'm just going to hang back until, until things can go back to normal again. And I think that's going to be a big stressor for you know, the first bit of ongoing hybrid ministry in 2020, and maybe for a good chunk of 2021. So the other thing, uh, another thing that I think is going to be a reality of, um, you know, ministry in 2021 is that there's going to be a big, huge backlog waiting for us as churches and as clergy. Uh, we were talking with some colleagues on a Zoom call yesterday about about some Lent stuff, and one of our colleagues mentioned. Uh, should probably give him a shout out. Andrew said that there's going to be a big backlog, and it's something that I hadn't really considered. But he said, you know, there's going to be funerals waiting for us. There's going to be baptisms, weddings, all that stuff just waiting, piling up. 
that as soon as we can, people are going to want to start doing. And what is that going to mean for us? What is that going to mean for us as clergy and churches? If we're already tired, right? If clergy are already burning out or burnt out in this time and, and just trying to get to, we're just trying to get to that next thing um, that will hold us and our congregations over, what will it mean for us and for our congregations, for our ministries, to faithfully address both people's energy levels and also the pastoral needs of a community. Absolutely. You know, there, there's going to be all this stuff that as soon as it's possible, people are going to want to do because they've been waiting for a long time. And they've been waiting for a variety of reasons, right? Whether it's they, they don't want to celebrate it with a group of their, you know, five closest friends and the pastor and everybody else on Zoom. They want, to, they want it to be in person with all their friends and family or because they just couldn't face it. They just couldn't face whatever it was, you know, in the midst. They couldn't imagine getting, you know, their child baptized in the midst of a global pandemic because the, the risks of, you know, what it would mean. So, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of this backlog is piling up and there's going to be all kinds of different expectations about resolving it and what that's going to look like. And how and when it can happen. Because I think there are still a lot of people who are waiting to go back to quote unquote normal. Or whatever, whatever they remember normal to be, which, sure. which is probably a more idealized version than it actually was. As it so often is. But it's not just, it's not just those pastoral acts that are piling up. Right? No. You were saying it's other stuff, like programs. Absolutely. Programs that we've put on hold, communities put on hold, relationships put on hold. Um, you know, we've mentioned this Zoom call a couple of times already, but it was a, a group of us and all but one of the people on the Zoom call I've seen in other, in other Zoom calls or socially distanced manners um, since March or, uh, you know, I live with one of them. Um, but one of our colleagues I hadn't seen in almost a year, and I was surprised at how emotional I was to see his face on the Zoom call. We've talked over the phone, we've, we've sent text messages to each other, but to actually see his face and hear his voice at the same time. And so I can absolutely understand and predict the wave of need that people will have and want to to be together and to do all of the things and to get back to all of the ways. When this all started, we were talking about how great Easter was going to be. Oh, it was going to be so resplendent and marvelous and big. And I think a little bit of that naivete is gone. But I don't know if that sort of desire is gone or that the dream, the big, exciting gathering of all the people that you like to gather with. And and now and, you know, the, the deeper we get into a year or more of doing this stuff at home online in our households, the more we're going to want to make the next time we do it is going to be huge. It's going to be, you know, as as that. A certain world leader would say it's going to be huge um and it's gonna it's gonna be there's gonna be pressure 
So, so not only are we all going to be exhausted after this pandemic and, and working overtime and working hard to get all the ministry done, and not only are there's going to be all this pressure and backlog of pastoral acts that we have to get through and programs that we have to start up again, we're also going to have to make, you know, Christmas 2021 be the most amazing Christmas there ever was. Easter 2022, the most amazing Easter there ever was. I think it's going to be sort of risky for us not to burn ourselves out getting back to normal in the in what, you know, shapes up to be the post-pandemic era. That um, maybe taking a approach like a soft launch, right? Where you very intentionally do things slowly and with the idea of, well, we're going to try this and see how it works and be willing to evaluate it so that we can so that we can tweak it and adjust it as needed. Right. Because there are going to be all sorts of things that we've just sort of forgotten. How to do or things that have been neglected over the past however many months your building has been closed for that you're going to notice right that things are going to be that things are maybe going to not work because they haven't been used yeah the toilets the toilets are backed up and the the light bulbs went out no that actually happened like the toilet wouldn't flush because it hadn't been used in Mm -hmm. so long that it was just stuck yeah right it was just stuck and i think that if that isn't a metaphor for how many of us will sort of re-enter, and it's not only church, right? I mean, it's going to be all of these things that people are going to want to, and rightfully so, right? <laughs> rightfully so, we want to re-engage in these places and with these people who are so important to us. Um, but I guess what I hear you saying and us lifting up is are we about to bite off more than we can chew yeah are we going to rush back to all the things that we are missing right are we going to are we going to stuff ourselves silly after starving for a while that we're going to get sick you know the historian in me thinks back to the post war era era of the late 40s you know what it was the middle of 19 19- 45 the date escapes, escapes me june was it june 6th or july june 6th, june 6th. New victory in europe day and right there's those those photographs of people celebrating in the streets but it wasn't like all the soldiers came home on june 7th right some were still stationed you know overseas for the better part of five years right like the 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 end of the 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 crisis so to speak didn't mean sort of the end of the effects of the crisis that there was a long time uh of sort of getting back to a new equilibrium i won't say normal but a new state of of normalcy and i think a lot of people look back on like the 50s as a golden era of church but there was 5 years at least between that golden age of of you know north american society and of and of mainstream Christianity, uh, and the end of the war, right? It took a long time to get back to a place where, where the world was somewhat stable and normal. And there's certainly no guarantees that that's where we're headed after this pandemic with a lot of our 
political strife and division still, you know, existing in full force. But but in in terms of churches and ministry and coming out of the pandemic reality is that, you know, just because there's a vaccine, just because you're vaccinated, doesn't mean things are going back to normal. And we're getting a bit of that from public health officers, but I think it's still an important reminder. And so, so one of the questions that I'm wondering about is a really big backlog might be grief, all the grief that we're carrying. The grief that we're carrying, the reality that when we do return, there will be empty spaces in our pews, in our churches, in our communities, in our families of lives that have been lost, not just because of COVID-19, but, um, but for all sorts of different reasons. And that we have not had the opportunity to mourn those deaths together in community. And so for anybody who has who has been part of a community that has sustained multiple um, deaths in a short period of time knows how hard that is on community or on families. Um, and it takes time. It takes a lot of time to grieve to grieve those losses because they start compounding. You're still grieving one person and another and another person um dies and 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 all of those losses start building up one one upon the other. And so yeah, right now we're just <laughs> we're just trying to get through this thing and we'll deal with all of that later. <laughs> but later is going to come eventually. And so how are we how are we preparing not just it's important to be thinking of these smaller chunks of time because we can't get too far ahead of ourselves in our planning for ministry, except for that we know that there is this peace coming and to not think about it and to not be talking about it with other people in our congregations in leadership, I think is a huge misstep because it is coming. <laughs> and, and to not plan and prepare to at least be thinking about those pieces. Um, is not going to be helpful. Yeah, and it's not just, I mean, it's not just people dying as if that you can say just people dying, but it's going to be people who decide not to come back, people who move on to other communities. People who move, people who don't come back, people whose life circumstances change, people whose commitment levels change. Kids who grow up. I mean, there's going to be, you know, this kid was in, this kid was in our, our, nursery at church now they're now they're getting grade one right this this kid was a high schooler when we last saw them and now they're a grown-up at university like there's so many things that we have where we have been apart for long enough that there are going to be these these changes that i don't know if we're all like you said you didn't hadn't seen this colleague's face for 10 months and we're not ready for those sort of what the <laughs> Those moments when you look and see, like, what, what, what did I just see? What did I just experience? Like, what just happened there? I mean, that's going to be a constant sort of reality when we when we start 
getting back together and 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 congregating together as communities and and reconnect making making those reconnections and relationships again right and to say nothing of how we will navigate those relationships you know at the at the beginning of the pandemic when we were naively thinking we would be apart for three weeks and then we could all get back together and remember it was like i just won't it be so nice to hug again and i gotta say i (laughs) i wasn't a big hugger to begin with but i'm even less so now with people sort of outside of my close network circle and and so there are all of those pieces too that we'll be navigating right is in in the beginning there will be this i think tentativeness in our interactions with each other in sort of figuring out the the boundaries around how cl- how close do we get to one another right and how do we navigate that not because it won't be safe but because we've spent all of this time being so diligent and intentional about being apart that to come back together again will take some effort I mean, there's going to be people who are ready to give everybody a hug that they meet. But I'm one of those people who's like, I don't really know if I want to shake a hand ever again. Because, you know what? I really enjoyed not having the flu for a year. Right? Not having a cold for a year. Or a cold. It's been, and not just enjoyed it. It's been like revolutionary for my health and well-being to not spend four months sick uh, with colds and flus. Because that's one of the hazards of being a pastor and shaking hands after church. And a parent of young kids. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, you know, and there, there's, there's things that some people might say, you know what? I, I was finally able to give up this thing I didn't like in the first place, and I'm going to give it up forever now. And I might be one of those people. So, so being ready to meet people where they are and not just rushing back to the things that we have been missing, I think will be an important part of that backlog as well. We're going to take a short break. The Millennial Pastors Podcast is made possible by a generous grant from the Manitoba Northwestern Ontario Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Canada. The Manitoba Northwestern Ontario, or MNO Synod, is one of five synods of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Canada, or the ELCIC. The Synod covers 54 congregations in Manitoba and Northwestern Ontario, from Brand in Manitoba in the west, to Thunder Bay, Ontario in the east, and from Morris on the U.S. border, to Thompson, Manitoba, bordering on Canada's north. The MNO Synod has a baptized membership of 17,000 people, Headquartered in Winnipeg, Manitoba, the Synod serves 54 congregations through the Ministry of the Bishop's Office and working in the areas of youth and young adult ministry, missions, outdoor ministry, social justice, ecumenical relations, stewardship, and guiding ordained ministers and pastors through call processes. The MNO Synod can be found online at mnosynod.org and on Facebook and Instagram. Check them out if you want to find a congregation in the MNO or if you want to know more about their work. I hear if you call the Synod office, you can just talk to Bishop Jason.
So another thing that I think will be an important feature of uh, ministry in 2021 will be a slow shift towards sort of the new thing. And the slow shift being the important, the slowness of the shift being the operative, uh, you know, piece of that, that concept is that, you know, the thing, the new post-pandemic church ministry world that we're shifting into will take the better part of 2021, maybe well into 2022, maybe even into 2023 before we really figure it out. Which you would think for the church would be a breeze. Because we're really good at doing things slowly, right? Like adapting to changes slowly. Yeah, this is going to be one of the times when we're not, when we're not really uh, good <laughs> had, at slow we've change. We've had all this practice and we're not going to be very good at it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because we're going to, I think people are going to want to rush back with everything. Sure. With everything. But, you know, I, I think of the metaphors like, you know, back in my, my youth when I used to climb mountains once in a while. Um, <laughs> don't have to look at me like that. Um, you know we're on top of the mountain right now. Like we're not, we're not at the end of the journey. We're halfway done. We're we're or not even right. We're maybe we're maybe coming up to the the mountain peak. We're not. We're we're still not quite coming down just yet. And often the the second part of the the second part of that journey is can be the most dangerous, right? It's the part when you let your guard down, when you try and rush the the second half. When you're tired. When you're tired. Right? You're tired because you just spent all this time and energy and all of your resources getting to the top. Yeah, and you can see the end. The end is in sight, but there's still all this dangerous terrain along the way. And And so I think that, you know, as we slowly shift towards the new thing that we're going to be as as a society, as people, as churches, that that recognizing and embracing and navigating the slowness of the shift is going to be different and difficult. And recognizing that everybody's going to be going at their own different paces, right? Um, and one very concrete example is with with vaccination, right? So right now it's healthcare workers and uh and people living in care homes, but then it's going to be people over the age of 65, which make up a surprisingly high number of church members. What do you do when half your church is vaccinated and half isn't, and might not be for several more months, right? Should you just start gathering in person, even though, you know, there's still a, a strong risk? Um, should you wait? Should everybody have to wait, even though half your church can gather in person? Do you seek out People can come if they have vaccine passports. Like, what if the pastor doesn't have a vaccine passport? Who's going to preach the sermons? Who's going who's gonna to preside at communion? Who's going to do well, that Well, what stuff? is a fair expectation, right? Mm-hmm. What is a fair expectation for involvement or, or how to gather in community together? And then what are fair expectations for our for our clergy and for our like our our staff people right who may fall into a category where we're at the end of the list so if you have a pastor who's going to fall into that 
over 65 category, then that may not be the same conversation that you have as you will with a pastor who is under 65 and who potentially has young children who also won't be vaccinated. Yeah. You know, so this, this slow shift is going to be accentuated during these months of, of the vaccination part. But there's also going to be the slow shift to the new normal as people sort of gingerly step back in, right? As we, as we already mentioned, like, you know, I'm not, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to be a hugger and handshaker really ever again in my life on some level. I know I'll have to be. I mean, you weren't a big one to begin with, so this is not actually going to come as a shock to most people. But I think we might be surprised by the number of people who are reticent. Yeah, and how many people are going to say, you know what, actually online worship really really worked well for me. And, you know, I, I, <laughs> I'm a person who never wakes up before noon every other day of the week. And when we went to online worship, I didn't have to wake up before noon on Sundays too, because that's how I live my life or whatever it is, right? Like we, we had really great family time Sunday mornings and then came home and watched church Sunday night after, you know, homework was done and, and all that kind of stuff. Like there, there's so much that people may have routines and new ways of being that people may have fallen into that they might take time for people to slowly might make their way into in-person communities. And I won't say back to in-person communities, or well, maybe back to in-person communities, but not back to the community as a whole, because we're also going to have to, you know, continue to figure out how that online community and aspect still exists and continues to work. So, so, you know, yeah. And where the time and energy is for that too, right? Because if we are seeing the online community as a different embodiment of the body of Christ, then it's not just going to disappear or shouldn't just disappear when we go, when we are able to go back to in-person and in-building worship and programming and activities and gatherings right? That it will be, it will come alongside those other pieces. And so how do you make space for that and time and energy that all of, all of these things that are important can't all be priorities, right? At a certain point, we have to be able to prioritize what is going to be first and, and second and third and and what is the thing that we might do it, but we might not because we don't have the time or the energy or the people or the money for it? Yeah. So, you know, the the slowness of this change and this shift is going to be difficult and constantly discerning again after a year or more of discerning what ministry is going to look like in these new ways. We're just going to repeat the process and do it all over again in, in new ways. And and that really speaks to, I think, you know, the importance and the need that churches are going to have to work at spreading out the responsibilities 
writing out the jobs, writing out the work that needs to be done of ministry. You know, pastors are exhausted, but we don't have a monopoly on being exhausted. Everybody's exhausted these days. We're going to come back to church in person with a backlog of in-person activities to do. We're also going to have these new online ministries, which are taking up our time and energy now. So we had a full-time in-person ministry before. We've now developed, you know, a good chunk of full-time online ministry. So it's not like we can all go back to work and work, you know, to full-time amounts maintaining all of this. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to need some things we'll have to give, right? Things will have to change, and then we're going to have to be some spreading out of the work. And I think we need to learn some of the lessons that the pandemic is offering us. I think about the some of the tragic um, circumstances of care homes in our in our country, and I know around the world, you know, as people most affected by the pandemic. But what the pandemic has revealed is that we really downloaded the care for those in for seniors and people in long term care. We downloaded that responsibility onto the backs of a few underpaid, overworked people, you know, care home workers. And, and in some ways, churches have done the same uh, for clergy, that we have downloaded a lot of our specific ministry with, with the, the elderly people in care homes, but in lots of other areas too, onto clergy, under the backs of clergy. And clergy have sort of held on to that stuff and not shared it as much as we probably should have with with members of our congregation and it's so to do all this stuff and to hold on to it ourselves isn't going to work to be asked to carry it all and do it all ourselves isn't going to work either there's going to need to be some some spreading around some giving stuff up and and finding a way to make the work of ministry something that we all share which is the way it was supposed to be from the get-go but i think like you said it's hard when something feels like it's your responsibility can be hard to give it up it can be hard to let go of something and oftentimes equipping people to do something new takes a lot longer than just doing it yourself and so i think there are a lot of people who are guilty and this isn't just pastors i mean this is people in key leadership roles in congregations too who who either because of their own specific visions of how something should be or go, um, or out of a sense of obligation, or just because the idea of having to output extra time to train somebody new to do something, keep keep on doing it, but for often not not the right reasons. And I think we're finding now that part of the reason that there is a high level of burnout is when you're downloading so many things onto a small number of people it's just not po- it's just not possible to keep to keep up the 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 pace or the energy or the care things start getting dropped yeah i mean the most un- the most unhealthy communities that i've served have been ones where everything most of the responsibilities sat on the shoulders of the, the pastor and a few super volunteers. The healthiest communities that I've served have been where, where the work was more evenly spread out, the responsibilities were more evenly spread out, 
And I think back to, you know, to the shared ministries that both of us served, right? Six congregations mm-hmm. sharing a couple of pastors. They were far and away the most satisfied group of people with sort of the level of ministry they received, even though they actually received less pastoral ministry than anybody else that I've served. I think because we did so much work describing and being clear about what was possible and what wasn't, that people knew what they were going to get, right? They knew what was possible for clergy to provide. But we also had to, we were forced to step back and make room for them in, in other aspects of ministry, room for them to take on leadership. Because I think people do want to be empowered to lead, to be empowered to step forward and feel like they take or they own something but but it's not that they're doing it all alone they're not left alone they're not that it isn't completely downloaded onto their shoulders they're empowered but they're not sort of overburdened that's right and then people also get to prioritize what it is that they want to do and be as a community and so at that point as a pastor you're able to you're able to offer resources that are not just shots in the dark about what people need um or or running around from one thing to the next trying to trying to meet all of the expectations but to be quite focused in in the ways that you're present in community and with people and that was always really exciting to be able to to say to people or to to hear you know what what are your priorities and what does this community want for your for your shared pastors right what is what would your priority be for our time cuz you're going to have lots of things that you want us to do but we can't do them all so what's the priority and for them to name that and then to unpack it with them cuz i remember one congregation was was quite committed to visitation, to pastoral, specifically pastoral visitation. And when my colleague and I unpacked for them that our, our vision for, for visitation ministry would be that, of course, we will visit any member that needs to be visited, but we will also take with us one or two members of the congregation who we can equip to do this ministry alongside us. Because there will be times when somebody needs a visit and a pastor isn't available. And almost immediately, the need for visitation disappeared. Now, it wasn't that visitation was not happening in this community. It was absolutely happening. But it was happening not in a organized or structured way. Right? And when that need changes they will change to meet that need. Yeah, I, and that's exactly what, exactly what uh, we're going to need to do going forward. And maybe this, this is going to probably be an unpopular opinion about what I think clergy might need to do. Is we talked about all the backlog we have, all the things we're going to need to be doing over you know, this, 20, this year 2021 and what ministry is going to look like. But I actually think that clergy might need to find ways insofar as it's possible to pull back and to really focus on on some important work of teaching and preaching and and to focus on reflection and making meaning because i don't think we will have processed what this pandemic did to us yet 
I don't think we'll have processed the, you know, the death that it's caused, the division that it's caused. And we need people to, to help us sort through what it all means. That's not going to be our politicians. That's not going to be, that's not going to be, I mean, we can't ask our healthcare professionals to do that for us. They have done enough. <laughs> you know, it's going to be the people who make meaning in our world. I hope that people think that clergy do that role and take on that responsibility. It's going to be our artists and musicians. A lot of people who just got sort of ignored entirely during the pandemic. People who tell to our storytellers, right? They're the ones who are going to put this all together and, and give us a story to tell of what this pandemic meant for us and for our world, for our congregations, for our ministry. And so to be intentional about taking the opportunity you know, the, it, that it's necessary to step back from things so that we can process all of this. Because it's a lot more important that we actually start to make sense of what happened to us than, you know, we make sure that we have our, our Christmas bazaar that we didn't get to do in 2020 or, or whatever it is, you know, that we, that we have the opportunity to reflect and make sense of and make meaning of. And, and that will take time. And, and, if clergy are taking the time to figure that out, they're not going to be able to do all the other stuff that usually gets downloaded onto our shoulders and that will be downloaded onto our shoulders in this post-pandemic era. Well, I think that's uh, probably all that we have to to say right now on January and early part of January about what uh, ministry in 2021 might look like. Um, it's probably going to change by tomorrow, if we're honest. It it will change by tomorrow because it always changes by tomorrow. So, uh, where can people find you today and tomorrow? Still at home, on social media, you can find me at Courtney Reedman Parker on Facebook, on Instagram, it is at C Reedman Parker, on Twitter, it's at. Reedman Parker can also find what I get up to um, around the church that I serve on Facebook at Messiah Lutheran Church Winnipeg. And you? You can find us both at the Millennial Pastors uh, Facebook page, where you can also find uh, more episodes of this podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Parker Eric on Facebook, Eric Reedman Parker. And you can find me uh, at my church, uh, Sherwood Park Lutheran Church on Facebook or sherpark.ca is our website. The Millennial Pastors Podcast is made possible by a grant from the Manitoba Northwestern Ontario Synod, whom you can find at mlnosynod.org. The Millennial Pastors Podcast is written and produced by us, Reverend Courtney Reedman Parker and the Reverend Eric Parker with our theme song provided by Lutheran Outdoor Ministry in Alberta and the North and all other music provided by audionautics.com. This has been a couple of Zoom pastors for a landline church. We will see you on the other side. Bye for now.